heard rumors all over town. They say that you're planning to put me down. All I'd like you to do, tell me that it isn't true. Say that you've been seen with some other man. Well, hello, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 167 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of the JNF Investimentos FCPA settlement. Welcome, everyone. Hope you're doing well. This is uh, election week, um, and uh, hopefully you will get out and vote, or if it's past Tuesday, you've already voted. Um Interesting time in our country and uh, should be an interesting uh, next few weeks in terms of uh, election results and our country sort of uh, moving on. Anyway, uh, last week we did the uh, Goldman Sachs uh, FCPA settlement. Uh, That was bigger and uh, more significant issues, I thought, uh, even though it was... Uh, came out after this one, the JNF Investimentos FCPA settlement. So I want to review that, go back in time a little bit and catch up, and let's review this one. Before we do so, I want to uh, provide a word from our new sponsor, who we're very proud to partner with, Blue Umbrella. How are you managing your third-party compliance program? Is your technology vastly assisting you or getting in your way? Blue Umbrella in concert with some of the largest, most sophisticated compliance programs in the world, has devised a user-friendly, customizable platform that automates tasks and seamlessly integrates with adjacent enterprise systems. Blue Umbrella has employed advanced technology, along with a healthy dose of common sense, to make sure that compliance professionals using status are able to focus on managing issues that arise, monitoring the health of their program, and proactively anticipating risks as a business partner. Curious? Contact us at blueumbrella.com for a quick demo. So let's go to the uh, JNF uh, Investimentos case um, and uh, catch up in terms of uh, some of the big actions. I mean, DOJ has been pretty busy uh, with the Goldman Sachs case, now with this case. Uh, and then this week we had the Suntory Beam case come out, which we'll probably have an episode about. Um so JNF is a Brazilian private investment company, and they pled guilty to FCPA bribery violations in federal court in Brooklyn, New York, the Eastern District of New York. And as part of the plea agreement, JNF agreed to pay a fine of $256 million and to cooperate with ongoing investigations of other companies and individuals. JNF owns numerous companies around the globe. Uh, including in the meat and agricultural industries and is the largest global uh, provider of meat. Under the plea agreement, JNF will pay only half of the fine or $128 million, $0.2 million, in recognition of the large fine already paid by JNF as part of its resolution with Brazilian prosecutors. Several years ago, three years ago, in March of 2017, JNF reached an agreement with Brazilian prosecutors to pay $3.2 billion for bribes paid by senior executives to Brazilian government officials and politicians. 
at the same time as the DOJ uh, guilty plea came out, uh, the SEC uh, announced that a settlement with JNF and its subsidiary JBS, the largest meat producer in the world, who I mentioned, and JNF's two principal owners, the two brothers, uh, Josely and Wesley uh, uh, Batista, who agreed to pay twenty-seven point twenty-seven million in disgorgement, and that is by the JBS JNF. And the two brothers agreed to pay $550,000 each to resolve uh, SEC charges. The SEC uh, settlement outlines bribes made by the Batistas totaling $150 million at the direction of Brazil's former finance minister, in part to facilitate JBS's uh, 2009 acquisition of chicken producer Pilgrim's Pride Corp. And if you feel like Pilgrim's Pride, I've heard of that name before, uh, Pilgrim's Pride right now, a subsidiary of uh, JBS uh, and JNF, is actually under criminal investigation and charges in connection with uh, the chicken antitrust cartel case uh, being run out by the antitrust division. And we'll get to that at the end. Separately, JNF's uh, subsidiary, Pilgrim's Pride, uh, ultimately entered a plea agreement with the DOJ in the antitrust department's uh, sprawling investigation. And that was announced uh, relatively shortly before the announcement of the FCPA settlement. And J uh, Pilgrim's Pride agreed to pay $110 million and cooperate in the cartel case. That was a big, big uh, feather in the cap for the Justice Department and the antitrust division. Okay, so let's go back now to the illegal conduct of bribery as opposed to the antitrust cartel activity of Pilgrim's Pride. JNF uh, acknowledged that between 2005 and 2017, JNF paid bribes to Brazilian government and state-owned enterprise officials and used U.S.-based bank accounts to facilitate many of the significant bribery payments. Uh, JNF's owners often met with a key Brazilian official to coordinate and arrange the bribery payments, and these meetings were many of which occurred and are detailed in the uh, settlement papers in, uh, they occurred in New York City. The core of the bribery conduct surrounded payment of millions to government officials to secure financing from two large Brazilian state-owned banks, Banco Nacional uh, de Desenvolvimento, Econômico e Social, that's Bandes, and Caixa uh, Econômica. Uh, In addition, JNF paid bribes to an executive at Petrobras de Seguridad Social, a Brazilian state owned pension fund, to obtain government approval of a proposed acquisition by its subsidiary JBS to uh, secure acquisition of Pilgrim's Pride in the United States. Under the FCPA corporate enforcement policy, JNF earned a 10% reduction from the lower end of the U.S. sentencing guidelines. So applying the uh, corporate enforcement uh, factors like we usually do, JNF did not voluntarily disclose the conduct. JNF's owners and senior executives were involved in carrying out a pervasive bribery scheme involving payment of over tens of millions of dollars in bribes. JNF earned only partial credit for its cooperation. On the plus side, JNF conducted an internal investigation, 
made factual presentations to DOJ staff, and made foreign employees available for interviews in the United States. On the negative side, however, DOJ cited the fact that JNF initially declined to produce all relevant materials and failed to produce relevant documents and information in a timely manner. In other words, they dragged their heels and had to be sort of brought to the table kicking and screaming. JNF did not have any anti-corruption compliance program, what a surprise, or compliance controls in place, what a surprise, when the conduct occurred. To remediate, JNF implemented an anti-corruption compliance program that is audited annually by an independent auditor, uh, which includes increased messaging on anti-corruption compliance and increased training for senior executives and managers. The Justice Department declined to impose an independent corporate monitor, citing the fact that JNF's uh, settlement with Brazilian authorities in 2017 assigns an independent compliance commission for monitoring all investigations and compliance audits and ongoing reporting obligations to the Brazilian government. So that's the stage. That's what the the outline of the settlement was. Um, let's talk a little bit more now about the bribery scheme uh, that was coordinated with a, a senior Brazilian finance minister who uh, you can tell from sort of the surrounding facts is a gentleman by the name of Guido Mantega, who went on to serve as Brazil's finance minister. Given JNF's large penalty in Brazil, uh, DOJ's resolution was reasonable in light of the consistent use of the U.S. banking system to sort of carry out and facilitate the bribery scheme. It is striking, though, that a global company the size of JNF and its numerous subsidiaries had no apparent compliance plan or even the pretense of one. The two brothers, the two owners, principal owners, carried the scheme out along with its subsidiary, JBS, uh, and they involved four government state-owned entities, uh, the Banco Nacional, uh, I call it BNDES, Bandes, state-owned bank, which is a state-owned bank, uh, Kayaxa, Economica, uh, state-owned bank, uh, Petrobras, the state-owned oil and gas company that we know, and the uh, pension fund associated with Petrobras, it was called Petros. So let's talk about the Band-Aids bribes. Between 2005 and 2014, JNF made illegal payments to Guido Mantega, then the head of Band-Aids, to secure several financial and equity transactions. The bribery payments were intended to benefit Mantega and two other uh, Brazilian officials who Mantega coordinated with. To disguise the transactions, JNF created various shell companies, opened several bank accounts for the shell companies in the United States. In sum, JNF made bribery payments totaling $148 million to benefit Mantega. Between 2005 and 2008, JNF secured Bandy's finance, financing to expand its operation, uh, and they paid the bribes for the benefit of Mantega, who obviously was then the head of Bandy's, through a third-party intermediary, which was equal to a percentage of the total financing amount. And the bribes were paid to two separate shell companies at a U.S. bank in New York City, which was not disclosed, and they used wire payments. In 2009, JNF continued to make bribe payments to Mantega without the assistance of the third party. So they cut the third party out, and they were seeking the sale of $2 billion in uh, debentures. And pursuant to Mantega's instruction, they opened up a shell company bank account uh, in its name, 
and uh, JBS uh, sought financing later to acquire Pilgrim's Pride, a chicken processing company in the U.S. In exchange for that financing, they transferred $55 million in bribes to the Shell Company account for the benefit of Mantega and two other Brazilian officials. In 2011, JNF opened another bank account in the name of a second Shell Company for the benefit of Mantega. Later that year, JNF deposited $30 million into the bank account. Continuing for the next three years until 2014, JNF continued to make deposits into the accounts for the two shell companies for the benefit of Mantega and the two other Brazilian government officials. By 2014, the accounts had accumulated $148 million for the benefit of Mantega and the two officials. And then in 2014, uh, Mantega directed JNF to make various bribery payments to a number of Brazilian politicians. And these were made from JNF bank accounts maintained in Brazil. And, uh, and these were not funded from the shell companies at the U.S. Bank in New York City. Let's turn to Petros bribes. Petros, again, is the pension fund. And between 2011 and 2017, JNF paid $4.5 million uh, in bribes to a high-ranking official at Petros, the state-owned uh, pension fund uh, for Petrobras and employees, to secure the fund's approval of a JNF proposed acquisition. Uh, and a portion of the bribe was paid through the purchase of real estate in New York City and transfer of ownership to one of the Brazilian officials. In 2009, JNF established an investment company in the United States. Two years later, in 2011, they sought to, uh, JNF sought to acquire the company. And uh, the merger was subject to Petros approval. That's being they're going to acquire uh, Pilgrim's Pride. To secure, secure that approval, JNF had to pay a bribe to a high-ranking Petros official and included in the bribe the purchase and transfer of an apartment in New York City to the government official. A JNF executive traveled to New York City, picked out an apartment, and purchased it for the benefit of the Brazilian official. Petros eventually approved the merger. JNF transferred the apartment for approximately $1.5 million in a shell company's name and then transferred the apartment to another company controlled by the Brazilian official. Over the period of 2012 to 2017, they paid approximately $101,225 to cover condominium fees for the Brazilian government official. In addition, in October 2012, JNF transferred $4.1 million in bribery payments from a shell company bank in New York to an offshore bank account maintained by a Brazilian government official. Let's go to the Caixa bribes. JNF here paid $25 million in bribes to a high-ranking official in the legislative branch of the Brazilian government to secure hundreds of millions of dollars of financing from Caixa a state-owned bank. The payments were made through an intermediary for the benefit of a high-level Brazilian government official. Following these payments, over the period of 2011 to 2014, Kayaxa made a number of loans to JNF. During this three-year period, JNF executives met with the third-party intermediary to coordinate the payments of bribes and the arrangements of the loans from Kayaxa. So that's the schemes. Those are the schemes that was laid out by the Justice Department. And believe it or not, we have one more scheme to go through. And this was sort of uh, more the focus uh, in the SEC settlement. And uh, like I said, the SEC settled for $27 million total. 
uh, and then like the DOJ settlement, the SEC included JBS and uh, Jose and Wesley Batista in its enforcement action. Uh, the factual predicate for the for the poli- for the settlement, however, differed a little bit in terms of the facts. Um, the conduct involved uh, Joe Jose and Wesley Batista and JNF's majority owned and controlled subsidiary JBS, uh, uh, which was then the largest uh, meat producer in the world. Starting in 2009, JNF sought to expand its holding of the acquisition of, JN- of U.S. meat companies, including Swift Premium and Pilgrim's Pride. And in September 2009, they sought to acquire 64% ownership of Pilgrim's Pride for $800 million. Between 2009 and 2015, JNF paid approximately $144 million in bribes for the benefit of then-Brazil's finance minister, minister Guido Mantega, who directed payments to various political campaigns. Through such bribe payments, J, uh, JNF was able to secure $2 billion in financing from Bandes, as we've gone through, uh, to uh, finance the acquisition of Pilgrim, which was then in Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Pilgrim's common stock is traded on the NASDAQ market, or was, and from t- 2009 to 2012, its common stock was traded uh, on the uh, New York Stock Exchange. The Batistas served as directors for Pilgrims between December 2009 to June 2017. Six of the nine Pilgrims board members also served on JBS's board, and JBS had American Depository Shares, ADRs, listed on the OTC market. After the acquisition, Wesley Batista served as CEO of JBS and chairman for Pilgrims and Jose Batista served as CEO of JNF and a member of Pilgrim's board. JBS and the Batistas carried out the bribery scheme using JBS operating accounts, which included funds obtained from Pilgrim through intercompany transfers, special dividends, and other means. Pilgrim's books did not reference the financial transactions intended to fund the bribery payments for the benefit of Mantega. Pilgrim's management was unaware of the intended use of such funds for bribery payments. The Batistas individually and through JNF and JBS exercised significant control over Pilgrim. Uh, in addition, Pilgrim shared office space, overlapping board members and executives, and accounting and SAP systems, as well as internal accounting controls and policy documents with JBS and its U.S. affiliate, JBS USA. All of these facts were done to tie JBS to Pilgrim and Pilgrim ultimately to the bribery scheme and the use of some of the money that flowed through from Pilgrim up ultimately to, um, uh, to JBS and then ultimately to JNF. During the P- period 2009 to 2015, and without informing Pilgrim's management, the Batistas continued the bribery scheme using in part JBS's operating accounts, which contained funds that were commingled with Pilgrim's funds. In 2012, at the direction of Mantega, uh, Batista, uh, Hosley, Jose Batista made a $5 million sham loan to a company partially owned by Mantega's son. The sham loan was executed with the assistance of the New York Bank. The Batistas never disclosed to Pilgrim's accountants and independent public accountants that certain funds transferred to JBS were commingled with funds used to pay bribes to Brazil government officials. 
As a result, the Batistas, JNF, and JBS caused Pilgrim's books and records to inaccurately record the financial transactions, which in turn caused Pilgrim's failure to maintain an adequate system of internal accounting controls. Pilgrim did not enact a code of conduct until 2015, over five years after being acquired by JNF as of 2018, nine years after acquiring a controlling issue, J, uh, interest, JNF was in the process, after nine years, of implementing a formal anti-corruption compliance program. Uh, Pilgrim had no compliance department and no compliance personnel. The Batistas executed the con Code of Conduct Certificate, but never received any anti-corruption or compliance training. Okay, let's go on now to the lessons learned, uh, which is usually our formulation. We like to look at the scheme and then go into the lessons learned. Uh, and the JNF case uh, presents a number of important lessons learned. While the bribery scheme was brazen and involved a large amount of money, the techniques and warning signs must have been fairly obvious, but either deliberately ignored or uh, ignored with sort of uh, the head-in-the-sand approach. Despite JNF's large global operations and expansions plans, JNF made no apparent attempt to build an ethics and compliance program or implement basic compliance program requirements, uh, let alone uh, have any training of any employees, executives, or anyone at any of the companies. Global companies, wherever based, need to uh, remind themselves to design and implement compliance programs comprehensive compliance programs with training to meet basic expectations. Here are the most significant lessons learned. The presence of shell companies. The bribery schemes were executed through the creation of shell companies and associated bank accounts. Given the large amount of funds, roughly $145 million involved, such transactions should have been subject to some kind of internal scrutiny at JNF. From the factual descriptions, the suspect transactions appeared to have sailed through any internal controls, financial uh, oversight, and authorizations without any significant questions. Before allowing these kinds of transactions, internal controls should verify the ownership of the shell company, the purpose of the shell company's participation in the transaction, and related documentation to confirm the nature and purpose of the transaction. In the absence of a valid explanation and related documentation, the transaction should not have been approved nor repeated. C-suite misconduct and controls. JNF, which is privately owned by the Batista brothers, owns several publicly traded companies in Brazil and the United States. In light of this configuration of ownership and regulation, JNF should have conducted a risk assessment of its C-suite and imposed basic financial controls over transactions involving either or both of the Batistas. While companies are reluctant to implement C-suite controls or even question such transactions, the risk of misconduct and the implications of such misconduct can be devastating. The JNF misconduct confirms what we already know. One or two bad apples in the C-suite can bring down an entire global company's operations with devastating reputational and financial impact. Third, jurisdictional reach. The JNF FCPA enforcement action underscores the jurisdictional reach of DOJ and the SEC. JNF is a Brazil-based global company, privately owned, but paid bribes to Brazilian officials 
received important Brazilian government loans and investments from Brazil institutions. The United States portion of the scheme involved a financial institution in New York City, an apartment in New York City, and meetings in New York City. In the SEC action, the United States conduct extended to commingling of funds from Pilgrim's Pride with JBS's funds, which in turn were used to fund various bribery payments. Pilgrim's Pride and JSB were publicly traded companies on U.S. stock exchanges. Number four, absence of financial and compliance controls. After reading the relevant settlement papers, there is a significant question. What financial controls, if any, were in place, and how were these transactions authorized? My question is not rhetorical, but really, how can a company permit the transfer of nearly $150 million without any pretense of verification, authorization, or documentation? It is hard to imagine how such financial activity can occur without some, any, I mean, we beg for any controls in place. Even basic financial controls would have imposed some kind of rigor around these financial activities and payments. If JNF was simply a piggy bank for the Batista brothers to engage in misconduct, they still operated publicly traded companies that were subject to audit and even independent financial audits. Even a sophisticated set of lies would eventually crumble in the face of basic financial controls. We've seen this picture before. Siemens, Novartis, Alstom, and other pervasive bribery schemes where company officials, employees, and third-party professionals put their head in the sand and fail to raise concerns in response to serious red flags. Going along to get along or professionals who are silent rather than forego large fees are typically present in these situations. But no one, no one holds, holds these professionals and third parties and executives accountable. In-kind bribery is our last uh, lessons learned. Uh, and uh, in-kind bribery here involved JNF's uh, purchase and transfer of a New York City apartment worth $1.5 million to a Brazilian official. Unfortunately, we don't have information concerning how the purchase was funded, approved, and ultimately authorized for sale. But yet again, we have the Manhattan real estate market, just like in the Goldman Sachs case, uh, being used uh, as a way to sort of launder funds, make payments, make bribery payments and proceeds. All right, I mentioned early on in the beginning uh, of this podcast about the connection to the antitrust cartel case. And just to remind you that Pilgrim's Pride, which was acquired by uh, JNF and acquired with uh, through the bribery financing that was provided by uh, bribes, secured by bribes, and ultimately the approval of the Petros Pension Fund, uh, Pilgrim's Pride is one of the largest poultry producers in the United States. And uh, Pilgrim's Pride, shortly before the announcement of the FCPA case, announced a fine, an agreement, and a plea agreement, and a fine with the antitrust division to pay $110.5 million. Uh, and the Justice Department now has another big feather in their cap uh, in this ongoing uh, chicken industry investigation. And uh, so Tyson's was the first chicken processing company to cooperate and now Pilgrims uh, joins the club, but I think it's about the third or fourth to join. Um, and in June 2019, the Antitrust Division revealed its investigation when it 
notify the Illinois federal court overseeing multi-district civil litigation uh, to put a stop to the discovery in that case because of the ongoing criminal uh, conspiracy uh, investigation being done by the antitrust division. Uh, recently, uh, the Justice Department returned a superseding indictment charging 10 defendants with criminal price fixing. Uh, and in June 2020, the original indictment charged Pilgrim's Pride's executives, Jason Penn and Roger Austin, the sitting president and CEO, and the former vice president, respectively. In the superseding indictment, the antitrust division charged two additional Pilgrim officers and managers, William Lovett, former president and CEO, and Jimmy Little, a sales director. Little was also charged with making false statements and obstruction of justice for lying to uh, investigators. Little was interviewed by federal agents before being charged in the case, and during the interview, Little denied having any contact with any competitors in the industry, communicating via text with competitors and having no knowledge of the ongoing price-fixing conspiracy. The alleged conspiracy to fix prices and rig bids for chicken products uh, occurred over 2012 to 2019. Uh, as outlined in detail in the indictment, the defendants communicated via phone, text, and email to coordinate bids to sell chicken products to purchase cooperatives, restaurants, and grocery chain stores. Pilgrim's Pride settlement involved a 2000, November 2012 contract in which Roger Austin and Jason Penn communicated with colleagues from Claxton Poultry and other companies to ensure that its competitors maintained a specific price level during negotiations. The second contract price-fixing act uh, activity occurred in March 2013, during which Pilgrim Pride coordinated its pricing of its products with Claxton Poultry to supply dark meat chicken. And then finally, in 2014, a cooperative negotiated process and supply of eight-piece uh, uh, chicken supply for 2015. Austin and a Claxton uh, poultry executive spoke to each other and coordinated with other suppliers. Pilgrim Price raised its prices and coordinated with Claxton poultry and other suppliers to maintain a price increase over the objections of the cooperative customer. So quite a range of illegal activity here by both, uh, by all the companies associated with JNF, starting with the top, continuing down with Pilgrim's Pride all the way into the chicken industry. Just goes to show you that a culture from the top clearly permeated all the way down to criminal antitrust behavior in the United States uh, and a vast and spiraling, sprawling, as we say, uh, cartel investigation. Anyway, that's it. Make sure you vote. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy. Watch election results. It's going to be an interesting week. Uh, enjoy yourself. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. And you're holding his hand. 
Tell me that it isn't true 